Growing as educators means reflecting on our own practices and listening and learning from our colleagues. As teachers, it's easy to get lost within the walls of our classrooms and schools. Our goal is to connect teachers and educators and share what's happening in our district. This is the Santa Barbara Unified Looped In Podcast. Connecting educators, sharing ideas, and improving instructional practices. I'm Gina Pierce. And I'm Rob Cooper. And we are your hosts for the Santa Barbara Unified School District Looped In Podcast. Mastery learning has been around since the 1960s and is a model where students are expected to master a learning objective or goal before they can move on to the next goal. Over the last several years, a growing number of teachers, schools, and systems across the country have gradually started to move in this direction, with increasing awareness of mastery learning and its potential benefits for students and teachers. According to the Professional Learning Board, the mastery learning model has been found to be beneficial in many settings. It allows struggling students an opportunity to master critical concepts before new content is introduced. At the same time, it provides a challenge for high-achieving students. This style of education gives students the opportunity to accelerate through the program and move on to either the next level or to engage in extension studies which will broaden their understanding of the subject. In this episode, we'll be looking at the mastery learning that is taking place in our district. We will get an inside look at what a few of our teachers are doing in their classrooms to make a shift towards mastery learning. My quest to find teachers that have been experimenting with mastery learning brought me to Goleta Valley Junior High School. Two teachers, Sean Rocha, a history teacher, and Jan Ferrer, an English teacher, have been working together to implement mastery learning in their classes. Here is what Sean had to say about what he's been doing in his classes with mastery learning. Welcome, Sean. Hi. Well, thank you for having me. Um, so, so far, in terms of mastery, um, we've kind of just, through some PDs um, and looking at this, we've just taken some baby steps using mastery learning towards kind of this competency-based, this bigger picture of competency-based education. Um, so, mastery learning and using the four-point scale, um, we thought was a good way of taking those first steps. And so... With that, we've started with changing our grading scale to just the four points. So one meaning you're below the standard of what we're looking for. Um, two is near. Three is um, meeting the standard that we're looking for. And then four being um, an advanced learning or ab above the standard that we were uh, expecting for that. Um, and then Jan and I, our English teacher on campus, who's um, also kind of piloting this and working with this, um, we uploaded some uh, standards within NEO that we've been using to uh, focus this mastery learning on. So those are kind of been our early steps. Sean creates rubrics for all his assignments to assess a student's mastery on a particular topic. Now, using rubrics is the, the best way, the easiest way for me and for students to kind of see where they land. So I've been working a lot on creating a rubric for everything um, that I put in NEO that I'm grading. Um, and being mindful of letting students see that rubric first. So I've been make, I was making the mistake of giving them an assignment, collecting it, and then being like, look at this assignment. Um, this is what you got on this assignment um, based on this rubric. When looking back at it, I should have given them the rubric or told them to go look at the rubric as they're working on it so that they can meet those specific or master those specific standards I'm looking for. So really focusing on that backwards mapping almost. 
One of the most difficult pieces of trying to shift to a four-point scale in a traditional A, B, C, D, F grading system is translating the mastery grade into a letter grade. I asked Sean to tell me more about his four-point grading scale, where three represents meeting a competency and four is exceeding the competency. Here's what he said about his scale. So we've kind of taken um, what some other teachers have kind of inputted in to Neo as well, um, in terms of the breakdown or the percentages. Mm-hmm. Um, so for our class, say a three, which is meeting the standard, would would correlate to an A minus, and then a four would be what you would consider an A plus or a hundred percent on something. Um, so that's kind of how it would translate over. And then if you're not quite meeting the standard on most assignments, that would still get a student a C C minus. Mm, okay. Um, so overall, they're tra- that's what it's really translating into if, if you're looking in terms of letter grades. And, and I feel like it's more true that way because just because a student is meeting something doesn't necessarily mean that I should be considered 100% or that, they've, that, that it's perfect. You can meet a standard on something and not, not be doing it completely perfect. So I think that's where the idea of deeper understanding makes more sense. Because if you're going above and beyond, that would be considered more of the the A plus, if you want to call it that, or the hundred percent. So, I think the four point make, is really a more true way of grading and looking at work, student work. Since the goal of mastery is to have most students meet the standard, I was interested in what it looked like to exceed the standard for an assessment. Here is how he explained it in the rest of the interview I had with him. So in. When I think of a four, uh, I think they're they're just showing a deeper understanding of of the concept that we were talking about. Um, so it kind of goes beyond just the skill, but also the content. So showing uh, making connections that maybe the prompt didn't ask, but that they're thinking of um, themselves, and they're connecting to their prior knowledge, things we've talked about in class. Um, for example, in my class specifically, we we link um, or talk about the themes. I think DP refers to them as the, like the Persia themes mm-hmm. of political, economic, and social um, area geography. And so if they're making connections to those or the changes that are happening politically, economically, I consider that a four. So they're going beyond what I actually asked them in, in a particular prompt or assignment. So if they're doing that on their own, I think they've, they're showing deeper understanding of that concept. So that would be a four to me. Okay. And then are you allowing students to constantly revise to try to make up work, the whole idea of the mastery over time? Yes. So that's been a a kind of a mind shift is giving them that extra time or if they don't meet something, making sure you're reminding them to go back, look at the rubric, look at where they maybe missed something to meet the standard on it and definitely giving them the time to do that. And I think that's something the students are appreciating about it. Um, because it's not just, you turned it in, this is what you got, we're moving on. Now it's more, this is what this is where you are now, here's where you missed or what you can look at to improve, and then revise and resubmit is what I'm constantly pushing them to do. So whether they do it is kind of a different Right, getting different the kids idea. to want to persevere I think has been a lot of teachers' struggles for yeah. sure. I know I was talking with some of the teachers from the Academy for Success and they have, you know, the most at-risk students. They're like, can I just be done with this? 
And um, they're like, no, you know, you have to get, you have to meet the standard. And so it's a mind shift for kids too, because they just think I turned it in. That's the product I'm done. But it's like, no, you're going to be meeting the standard. And in my interview with Jan Ferrer, an English teacher working closely with Sean in mastery learning, Jan talked about how our students have been adjusting to the revision process that goes along with mastery learning where students are constantly revising their product in order to meet or exceed the standards in her English class. Yes, I'm starting to see a general more curiosity, I think, for students who, for example, are always meeting something and they're kind of getting that consistent feedback of, I'm meeting this task, I'm meeting this task. They're starting to ask questions around, well, what does exceed mean? What does that look like? And I think it's that repeated exposure, Mm -hmm. again, to that... um, rating scale where they are starting to understand okay I'm always getting meets and now I'm kind of curious like what does exceeding look like or if they're nearly meeting they are they do understand that meeting is the goal right um so they are asking questions around how can I move from nearly meeting a competency to meeting that When I asked Jan about the everyday grading that goes along with mastery over time here is how she responded it surprisingly hasn't been a whole lot more only because I think the students who are really motivated to change their learning are the ones that are going to go out of their way to revise things Um, and the students who were not meeting the standard before you were hopefully catching and and supporting them throughout the way until they were able to meet the standards. So it hasn't been a lot of additional grading mm-hmm. on my end. Um, and I think it hasn't come to this point, but I know that Amy McMillan, for example, there are ways to not get such an influx of things to regrade. She had her students fill out um, a Google form where they actually had to outline what changes they made, why did they believe it was significant enough to change a grade. And so I think for teachers that are worried about having an influx of constantly regrading things, they can kind of, you know, put one more check out there for the students to really be mindful of why they deserve a second look or a third look because the students are having to reflect on on why the change has been significant enough. When asked to share her successes and struggles with making the shift to mastery learning, here's what she had to say about that transition. Yeah, in terms of good, I think what I mentioned earlier in terms of having that shared language between the students and the teachers of meeting a competency or exceeding, where students are starting to get the hang of the fact that they can exceed in a certain area Um, or if they're not quite meeting it this idea that they can get there and that they're not fixed in one place I think mastery grading really promotes this idea of growth mindset because we are sending the message that you're not stuck in the realm that you happen to be in if you're not meeting the standard these are the things that we can work on so that you are meeting the standard and um, or even exceeding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it kind of clarifies that for students. And the, the successes have been when I've heard students, you know, use the language and say, well, how do I exceed? Or if a student say, say, um, 
why did I get nearly meets? And then I go to answer the question, but their partner next to them says, well, look at the rubric. And they Mm -hmm. start pointing out the things on the rubric. Um, And so that's been really neat. I think the biggest challenge has been trying to do mastery learning within a structure where not everyone is having the same types of conversations with students. And what I mean by that is um, Mr. Rocha and I can have conversations with students about how, you know, don't concentrate so much on the grade and let's talk about where you are in terms of your skills and we can have those conversations within our classrooms. And then the very next period they go to, they might be hearing the emphasis back to A, B, C, D, F. Mm -hmm. And so it makes it really difficult to try to shift the conversation away when the other four-sixths of their day, <laughs> they're hearing about grades. Right. And so it's it's hard to do this work within the traditional system. It's a little bit of a tug and pull. I decided to interview Sabrina Harper, a math teacher at Dos Pebbles High School. She and I, along with a team of teachers at DP, have been doing a lot of work with mastery learning and have shaken up how math is traditionally taught in many of our math courses. Sabrina was recognized by a parent at a board meeting last September for her efforts in making the shift to mastery learning. Hi, my name is Albert. Um, I have two boys. Uh, One of them is at DP right now. I went back to the Dos Pueblos back to school night and I have a request. Mrs. Superintendent, um, Carrie, I request that you um, make a call to Mrs. Harper, who teaches math compaction, and tell her that one of the parents was so grateful for her thoughtful deployment of a new grading system that focuses on mastery, not compliance. Um, She eliminated homework as a grading grading criteria and replaced it with twice a week quizzes that kids can retake as much as they want because she wants to emphasize mastery, not compliance. Here is my interview with Sabrina, talking about all the changes she has made to move towards mastery learning. Um, In my math classes, we used to check their homeworks, and homeworks is a good portion of their grades. Um, But I realized that actually checking their homework for completion doesn't really give me any information about their mastery. So instead of spending time grading on their homework, I give them skill quizzes now instead. They usually have one or two skill quizzes per week. And this way I know exactly which part or what topics they need help with. and I can adjust my teaching, or if I have to, I can reteach based on this um, instant feedback. And also, their grades now actually reflect exactly what they know. Okay, so in terms of these skill quizzes, um, just for people that don't know what they are, can you give us a little bit more information on what they are and how you're using them to assess the kids? Uh, Skill quizzes, so we take a look at each chapter and we come up with the main topics or main skills that we want them to master. Uh, Usually we have um, four or so um, per chapter. Uh, We give them skill quizzes, but we also allow them to retake them. Um, So we encourage them to master the topics through time. Uh, they can retake their, in our Math 1 plus E classes, they can retake their skill quizzes as many times as they want, and we gave them until the end of the next chapter. 
um, I give them until the end of the next chapter as deadline. I think Mr. Bauer even give them longer time than that. So as long as they can show us their mastery, they can earn that part of the credit. Nice. So how have students been um, addressing or embracing the change? Uh, I actually asked all my Math 1 enrichment students yesterday to see how they feel about uh, skill quizzes. Majority of them really liked them. Uh, they said it's helpful for them. Uh, it helps them to prepare for their tests. It helps them to review for, their, for the materials they have learned. And also, some of them even said they, can, they use it as a self-assessment tool um, to see which part of the you know, chapter they need to study more. And interesting, uh, interesting, one of the students actually said it helps students who does not do their homework to refresh on the material they have learned. Nice. Deep. <laughs> no, this is not the purpose of not doing homework, but if it serves you good. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in your classes. I know in the class we teach, we give suggested homework sets, and then we basically are testing skills off of that suggested homework. Mm-hmm. You are you doing the same for your other classes, or are you still making sure that they do homework? Uh, in our Math 1 enrichment classes, they still have to do their homework. We still check their homework daily, but their homework is a very small portion of their grades. It's only 5% in my classes. And when I check, uh, because Math 1 enrichment students, they're ninth graders, we feel like they, they need a little bit more support on the homework part, so we do still check them but homework is not no longer a big portion of their grades. Yeah. So I know I've been talking with a few teachers from other subject areas that are not math, and math, it seems like math is always the exception to everything. Um, I know that they are grading on a four-point scale. Do you want to talk about your how you're grading your assessing the students for mastery? We also use the four-point grading scale as well. We give them a four if they show um, full, fully understanding what they're doing and no mistakes. And we give them a three for um, if they understand what they're doing and they just made some minor mistakes, such as plus and minuses, um, and we give them a two if they have started a problem but couldn't finish it. So they show some kind of understanding, but they still need some quite a bit of work on that. And one for you know not really <laughs> knowing a whole lot <laughs> on the topic. So, but we do allow them to retake up to a four as well. Right. So uh, the big question I think everyone is struggling is you're going from this four point scale to have to <coughs> translate this to a grade because we're all bound by grades, right? Yes. So how are you um, doing that? We do adjust our um, four point scale in the NEO system because if we give them a three, it would be 75% without adjustment. So and three we, is mastery, right? Yeah, and three is mastery. That means they just made some minor mistakes. So with some minor mistakes, uh, they should get more than just a 75 a C um, on the skill. So we actually give four as 100%, three is 90%, because uh, they only made some small mistakes. And two, since they could not finish the problem, we gave them 60%. So if a one is only... 30% they have tried. So if they get ones and twos, we encourage them to retake to get at least a three or four. Are you having troubles having kids that maybe get a one or a two on a skill quiz, having them come back and want to retake? I mean, I know that, you know, the whole idea of persistence and mastery over time, some kids are like, 
eh, I don't really want to do it. And if so, what are you doing to try to encourage kids to do that? Um, so first of all, if if a lot of, if let's say more than half of the students did not do very well on a particular skill quiz, we will reteach and retest them actually in class. Mm. So they have to do it anyways to have to retake their skill quizzes. If it's only a small portion of the students get ones or twos, then um, they have to take the initiative to come to me at lunchtime and I walk through with them, help them to understand the topic better, give them maybe one more practice or two before they actually retake the skill quizzes. And most of the time, that's good enough for them. They got it yeah. right after that. But still, yes, like you said, a small portion of the students, they mm-hmm. get ones and twos and they don't really come back to you. So for this group of students, really it reflects on their grades because their yeah. grades pretty quickly drops to C's and D's. And with the D students, we transfer them to our seminar time. We have tutorial, Mm -hmm. and I ask the tutors to work with them to retake their skill quizzes. And for C students, (laughs) I talk to them individually, please come Mm -hmm. to retake your test, to retake your skill quizzes. And sometimes that works a little bit too, but still, that is a struggle. (laughs) Is mastery learning working? Sabrina and I have both noticed a 3 to 6% increase in test scores from last year to this year. We know we are comparing apples to oranges since we are comparing the performance of two different sets of students, but I think most would agree that mastery learning is definitely having a positive impact on student learning. So how can you make the shift to mastery learning? We wanted to share the responses from Sean and Jan when asked if they had any suggestions on what teachers can do in their own classrooms who are interested in making the shift. Yeah, I would say I would go with a rubric that teachers are already using so that it's something more unified within your, your school. So whatever site you're at, I'm sure that there's teachers or rubrics already loaded into NEO. Um, it's not something you have to recreate in that sense. Um, and then, so definitely one thing I struggled with was the idea of skills versus content. So I would also suggest keeping that in mind while you're shifting to mastery learning, um, that those are two aspects of grading that you want to look at within student work is, yes, they might be meeting your, your standard in terms of content, but are they also uh, reflecting the skills you're trying to teach them in that? I think my biggest suggestion probably would be to connect to the people on campus that are doing this kind of work and hearing why they're excited about it and what their successes and challenges have been. I know there are little pockets at each school of people who are piloting this or trying it in some way, shape, or form, and so I think those would be the best people to reach out to. Even though you might not be an expert in mastery learning, You can implement this concept in your classroom with these simple ideas and strategies from the Professional Learning Board. Take time to plan your curriculum and break it down into units. Write down learning goals or objectives for each unit. Ensure that the units are planned in a sequential manner and adequate time is given to develop critical skills. The next step is to plan how you will evaluate these skills. Formative assessment strategies can be used to develop an effective assessment. For those students who are able to show mastery of the learning goals, you can use enrichment activities to take their learning further. Some ideas are games that require the students to practice their skills, working in pairs on problems or research, group projects, etc. 
For those students who are unable to achieve their goals, plan activities that will help them further practice their skills. Keep in mind that this set of activities are different from the initial instructional method. This helps accommodate a greater range of learning styles. Provide additional learning material and activities that allow for visual, auditory, or kinesthetic learners. After providing sufficient time and opportunity, retest for mastery of skills. This concludes our episode on mastery learning. We hope you were inspired by all the exciting changes happening in many classrooms and in all subject areas across the district. And we hope that you were able to gain some insights and ideas. And we'd like to thank Sean Rocha, Jan Ferrer, and Sabrina Harper for their time in sharing with us today. If you have additional questions, you can reach out to any of them for more information about mastery learning. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on your podcatcher of choice. If you like what you heard, consider giving us a five-star review. It helps others find us when searching through educational podcasts. Follow us or reach out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at SBUSD Podcast, or send an email to podcast at sbunified.org. Until next time, this is the Santa Barbara Unified Looped In Podcast. Connecting educators, sharing ideas, and improving practices throughout our district.